0: Um, we obviously recorded one earlier this week on Monday, but uh, after some big news has broken in the NBA over the last few days, we've been talking consistently with each other uh, about some of these the news items. Uh, so we wanted to have a really quick podcast today and just touch on some of the items that have broken, particularly the trade in Orlando and Kevin Love being out for six weeks. And if we have time, we want to touch on Magic Johnson as well and the movements he's making towards ownership on the Lakers side of things. But Darren, I'll get first. Throw straight to you, your thoughts on the Orlando-Toronto trade that went down yesterday.
1: Well, it's just emergency pod, emergency pod. I was I saw the news breaking, and I was on the on one of those unair conditioned buses, so I was sweating my tits off anyway. And then I'm getting excited about the news, and then you and I are exchanging messages, and I'm like, we need an emergency pod. <laughs> so our first emergency pod. Um, I guess a, a, a predictable, if you can call it. Certainly more predictable than... You know, Plumley and son of Plumley, the two big trades, and put big and giant italics um, so far. So, quite a predictable trade, I guess. From, I guess, if I'm Surge, I'm like, thank bleep and God, I've gotten out of the, the pit that is Orlando's roster dysfunction. Um, for Toronto, it just makes sense. You got a little bit of rim protection, you get a guy to stretch the floor. Um, he can, you know, play next to, to, to Big V, um, it's just a smart, smart fit for Toronto. And and I guess what they gave up, right, that's probably the next part of the conversation, is giving up what Terrence Ross and the lesser of the two picks they have in the 17, I guess the upcoming draft in the first round, which is their own, and the Clippers, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Memphis,
0: I think it is. Or is it the Clippers? Actually, it is
1: the Clippers. It's the Clippers pick, which was gifted to them, by the Milwaukee effing bucks. it always comes back to the bucks. The team that keeps on giving will not quite like the Nets but or Sacramento, but they're, we're the close. We give up the pick to get Grievous Vasquez. So Grievous Vasquez has turned into Serge Ibaka, and I go, that's a pretty good fucking trade if I'm Toronto, right? Exactly. Um, so I, it's just smart, low risk, um, good upside, almost a riskless trade from them Terrence Ross yeah rotation player yeah, nice nice player but um, getting rid of his 10 or 11 million a year it's just I thought it was a bargain
0: mm.
1: and then from Orlando's side I, so there's the there's the here and now and then there was the eight months ago when they made the deal I think there was what pretty much universally head scratching would be the nicest way to put what they gave up for surge. Um, Orlando did, which was Oladipo. Am I mistaken, or is Ilyasova? was he in that deal as well?
0: Ilyasova, Sova, uh, well, yes, he was. Yes, uh, nice. Ilya Sova went to OKC, and then uh, from there he went to Philly. That's what I thought.
1: So, yeah, obviously what they gave up was far more than they have gotten back with Terrence Ross and the low. I know at the moment I think this pick is sitting at number 25, isn't it, the one they'll get. So a, a low sort of you know, first-round pick. So if you, for a moment, say, okay, that's a complete stuff up, giving up what they did. Um, if Hannigan got to the point, and he clearly did that, just said, you know what, he either isn't a perfect fit for us, and or we don't want to pay him in the offseason anyway. They've gotten a rotation player who fits a role for them, plays, you know, he's a 3-4, right? Terrence Ross is not a bad player. And an asset in one of the, I guess, one of the better drafts in a while. And so... I guess both things I guess both things are true it, they have you know lost a lot of value through this process but at least cut their losses and got something for him now if you listen to Zach Lowe there was other I guess other teams trying to get on the, in on the Baca um, but they weren't willing to give up much so pretty decent haul given that they knew they were gonna be probably a seller anyway so I don't know. I guess if I were to pass out a grades, I kind of go uh, the most boring A minus you could give Toronto for getting a player I think who fit will fit really well and uh, uh, incomplete, but probably a you know a pat on the back for Hannigan for pulling the trigger from Orlando's perspective. I don't yeah. know. What do you what do you think?
0: I think do in a vacu- I think in a vacuum the trade makes sense for Orlando. It's not a problem. I mean I think Terence Ross. To me, I was thinking like a poor man, Zach Levine. Even though a different position, but just a guy that's a can be a streak shooter, can give you some scoring off the bench. Obviously, crazy athletic. He also won the dunk contest a few years ago. Now, uh, so from that point of view, nice, little, nice player. He'll he'll fit well, and obviously a first round pick. There's value in that, even if it's in the mid 20s. Uh, so in, in the vacuum, you look at it and think, yes, that's probably what a buck's worth at the moment. Um, and particularly to a contending team like Toronto, who can obviously use him. Uh, but then you, if you look at it with the other trade as well, uh, obviously it just makes that trade they made in last off-season look absolutely terrible now. And I think it was just a bad fit right from the word go. I mean, this season, to me, needed to be about what What do we have in Aaron Gordon? Let's give him minutes at the four let's see how our team is going to look in three, four years' time. And then all of a sudden you bring a Barker in, and he's obviously a power forward as well. So now what do you do with Aaron Gordon? Is his development stymied? Do they think he can play as a three? What, what was the thinking there? And then to top it off, you go and sign Bismarck Biombo, which I read the reason they signed Biombo was more around the fact that they were going to be under the salary floor and they just wanted to sign anyone to just make sure they could reach the salary fall. Um, which, in terms of reasons for signing players, I'd rather just distribute the money amongst the other players, which is what you have to do under the CBA. So their the off-season moves just made no sense from a team-building point of view. I mean, the only thing I like they did in the off-season was hiring Frank Vogel. Outside of that, it was a disaster, and I think that's how it's played that. But credit to them in the sense where they say, OK, we've made a mistake. We've gone in the wrong direction. Let's very quickly tack away from this and see what we can do. And now the team just can make a little bit more sense from a roster construction viewpoint. Maybe they can move another piece. Uh, maybe you look at a Vucevic uh, or even you move on from Biombo from here uh, and see what else you might be able to pick up um, out, of, out of that draft. And, and, and who knows? I mean, you might end up getting a very nice player. Uh, in, with the with that first-round pick that you have. Yeah. And, I mean, people are saying Sabonis, but Sabonis, they might not have picked him at 10 last year. He's not necessarily a great fit with this team either, potentially. So, uh, uh, you yeah, know, I, I think looking back, they'll say at least we, we got out of that quickly and it hasn't hurt us for two, three seasons down the track. I, I, yeah, I...
1: I think we've I can think we're being redundant, but I go at least I give him credit for cutting his losses, but I just get a sense of just trying to be too damn clever. Right? Trying to make a trying to make a headline move. I felt like the moves he said, perhaps each individually, acquire Serge Ibaka. not a bad idea. If I now completely ignore the fact that Aaron Gordon is not a three and <clears throat> signing Bismack Biombo, but who on in their right mind is playing Aaron Gordon at the three? Who's doing this? Who's playing a, a, a three who can't shoot beyond five feet? Mm. Right? And that's why I go, if that's that's the narrative I have to buy into what Hannigan was thinking when he did the Biombo in Ibaka. And I go, if that's what he was thinking, holy buckets, we actually underestimated how stupid he is. Because isn't I thought there was going to be movement towards, I was getting excited about Ibaka being a four and a five. And actually playing Gordon in a proper small bound small ball five, where he's the freakish, athletic guy who you can, you know, do enough banging down low against smallish lineups, and surround him with the shooters, which is another question that I think going into this year, perhaps he's grossly underestimated, overestimated, whatever, wrongly estimated Mario Hezonja, developing mm. any sort of, developing anything resembling an, an NBA skill. So I wondered. If he completely misread Aaron Gordon or thought he'd be better on the bench, either of those two things I don't like. Um, perhaps thought you could surround um, these guys with shooters. One of the critical shooters, right, Hazonia, has done absolutely nothing. Peyton's not much of a, a consistent outside threat. I just go, that, that thing, what was happening last offseason, was so bad, I guess it's at least a start in the right direction. It makes you feel even worse about what happened eight months ago, doesn't it?
0: It does. I mean, their whole roster's a bit of a mess at the moment, so they now need to once again go into a bit of a rebuild uh, and see where they end up with. Because even Alfred Payton, some nights looks like a really good, going to be a really good point guard, and the next night just completely disappears. And so I think they're they're struggling to understand what to make of his progress as well at the moment.
1: Well, he's not Moutier. Like, Moutier is a complete disaster... Like Moutier will be a negative negative eight hundred, right? He's just well, he just what he's like Michael Carter Williams on a bad day, Moodyer sometimes. Mm. But at least Peyton doesn't is not Moodyer lost. And you're right, he does have flashes, but um Yeah, I still think there's a change for Peyton, but I think I think there's too. He's had some big games, right? He's, he does show he can he can actually really affect the game and he can help a team win. Mm. But I he's kind of in the camp of not quite Brandon Ingram. <laughs> not Stop, Stop picking on Brandon. <laughs> he's my, he's my <laughs> one, right? and I go, I go what, what's happened to, I don't think anyone perhaps outside of Orlando really knows, but what's happened to Hazonia? Why is this guy not even getting the court? He's sort of in the kind of him and the Chris Dunn camp. I'm like, what, how could we be so wrong? How how could so many people be so wrong about these guys towards the top of the lottery? Mm. I, don't, I haven't actually seen him play, right? Nobody has. has no, you? I haven't
0: seen him play. Yeah. He's a bit like that Brazilian guy on, on Toronto that never takes the court. So it's a yeah. bit, it's a bit. bit. It's It's one of those ones where you just think, well, have they missed or are they just waiting for him to show something and then you'll see him. I, I think the development of rookies is something we've touched on a couple of times. That's one of the yeah. interesting things with the NBA now because we were the one undone. And I don't think he's only a... Um, necessary fits that description but with a lot of these one-and-done players they come in and young. you've just got to wait you just have to be patient and it may take three four years whereas I think we're used to seeing rookies come in and within one or two years they're getting it and they're doing well um, but generally now you've got to wait probably till year three where you're really starting to see them come up in the development uh, but I, I think the other big story about from this trade was the, uh, uh, Toronto, I mean they were a sort of fringe contender and we spoke about them on the pod a couple of weeks ago in terms of they were in a bit of free fall but does this lift them up now to the Cavs level where, and we can even case this with the conversation about Kevin Love's injury, does this now put them up there with uh, in, well, in the Cavs realm I mean I, I don't think so but I'm interested if, if you do.
1: There's one more thing I want to talk about before we go there yet. So, um, is I think, um, in context, right? In the context of the, the 30 NBA teams, I think we perhaps are even underestimating just the, um, the patience, the professionalism, the preparation. I think I'll start with P. We better have the pop shield going. I'll <laughs> oh, far out. Um, of what the, what the Raptors have done. It's almost R.C. Buford-like, right, in the fact that I, I ing- just mentioned the fact that, you know, this first-round pick was acquired in the Grievous-Vasquez trade. And so we go, this pick has come about from two years ago, right? Because they're probably not dealing this. If they only got one first-rounder this year, let's be honest, they have a much harder time pulling the trigger mm. on a possible rental. He's likely to resign in Toronto, right, but far less likely. I just want to give some credit to a team who um, can still contend, collect first-round assets, um, keep the veterans in a a great core, DeRozan and Lowry, et cetera, um, and still be in a position to have enough assets to make deals like this when they come along, right? Mm. As Mm -hmm. compared to what's happening in New York, where they get the band back together and, hey, Phil Jackson, wasn't he a Nick in 1944? Yeah, he sure was. Well, let's bring him back and let him – let him run things. Well look how that's turned out. And now I don't want to talk about magic yet, but you know, obviously what's happening in Los Angeles. Same thing. Yeah. Get the band together and you know, hey these players find their way of nosing into the you know, into the front office. Well, you're a popular man today there, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I go in contrast to our flashy two idiot markets on the left and the right coast, um of America, um, I go, just tip your hat right, to a professionally run, smart organization who knows how to build a roster, knows how to be patient, knows how to take advantage of a situation that prevents itself, and, and have the courage to pounce and make it happen.
0: Well, it's, a, it's about knowing where you're at as a franchise, and this is where the right. Lakers and Knicks consistently get it wrong, because they always think we're one player away we're one coach away, we're one gym away, and then the next Messiah comes oh. in, and it all falls to pieces well, again. Let's talk,
1: let's talk about the Lakers next, then, and we'll come, let's come back to this. We'll, we'll come, come back, back to that. that point, so we'll, we'll continue you're, on with you're the right on about this. So you right think they're one player away, and this, as you've mentioned on our last pod, the um, I do want to actually see a list of the point guards Carmelo's played with, right? The, the Knicks always feel like they're one player player, one move away from another 54-win team. What's worse for me about Los Angeles is they just feel entitled. We're the Lakers. Hey, Showtime, 30 years ago. Kobe, hey, 15 years ago. And this entitlement that will almost as if telling every free agent, you're foolish not to consider us, right? Like you all have it wrong. We've got the mystery here. We've got it right and you've got it wrong. That's what I hate about what's happening out in L.A. and Magic now is you're going to ride it on some – you know, uh, you know, the white knight coming in to sort of save the day and go, hey, you couldn't get him. He totally botched the meeting with LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, you couldn't even get Durant to have a sniff at us. Now, let me sit in the room. Good freaking luck, Magic.
0: Good freaking luck with that strategy, first of all. And well, he's, so- he's going to bring Kobe in, don't forget. So if he brings Kobe in, then it all changes. Like what, I'm, man. You have to get your fleet button going. What the
1: fuck is that? What does Kobe know about building a roster? Or, I go, why not call Jerry West or Kareem? Or, right, why not call every old Laker? I go, what, what's that about? Who, why Kobe? Why him?
0: You well, know, it's it's again, it's the Masala complex. It's like we need someone to lead us to the promised land. It's going to happen with one player, and the Magic and Kobe are going to come in. I mean, if Gaby Brown walks through the door, could you imagine morale in that locker room? Because uh, all they, they'll have to do is think back to last season when the guy submarined every, them on an almost nightly basis on his magnificent farewell tour. Um, and you could just imagine the eye rolls if he walks in. And what's, and, and what's he going to do? I mean, there's not like... And it was the same with Phil Jackson in, in New York. It's like, you're not going to fix this with one or two brilliant... Free agent moves or brilliant trades or things like that—it's going to be a process. Dare I say it? From the Philly point of view, where they have gone through a process and they have built a team, you're going to have to be patient with this. And it's not and, and to sit there and magic Johnson's going to come in and he's going to be the the major difference. I just can't see. It wouldn't matter who it was. It wouldn't matter if they got R.C. Buford to come out from the Spurs and run that that organisation. They're not. We're going to be in a position to contend for at least four or five years, and, and it'll be longer if they go down this path of, oh, we're going to bring Magic Johnson in, and, and he's going to be the magic fix.
1: And then I go, how does it work anyway? I go, let's actually think about how does this actually work. He's going to be an advisor. What's Advisor to whom? To Jimmy Buss? And Jimmy Buss is like, you're going to give me advice? That's all fine and good. This is my team. So I go, what how is that actually gonna work? So is he actually gonna what, fire Mitch Kupchak and be a hands-on everyday GM? I don't think so. Right? Whereas <laughs> magic's gonna need someone to actually do the work and like do the thinking. Right? Because so I go, he's not qualified to do that. He'd probably actually admit that. So it's not a that's not a criticism of magic, but it's not what he's gonna do. So how does this actually work? That's where I go, I think we're gonna have a it's going to be a standoff at the OK Corral between if Bus and Magic and Cupchak get in a room together. How's that? How's that conversation go?
0: Right. Well, and that's where I thought about it from your point of view. This is really in your wheelhouse because I was thinking about it this morning, and I thought, how should this these sort of organisations work from an organisational structure? So, if you're looking at an org structure, right? Yeah. So, and and I thought the the. The examples of hands-on owners, so owners that want to get in the room and they want to have a say, where do we see that? Well, we see it in Sacramento. We see it in Charlotte. We see it in New York, right? These are the places. We've seen it in New Jersey, right? These are the places where the owners want to have a say. They want to say, we want to sign this prayer, or they set you know, silly targets like, what happened in New Jersey? And It's disastrous because you have too many decision-makers in the room, and the, the classic example was Charlotte, when they're being offered the Nets pick, which obviously will be the first pick, most most all, well, quite possibly next year, they're being offered that for, uh, and essentially they knocked it back so they could draft Frank Kaminsky. So, and, and the reason being that I've read is there were so many decision-makers in the room uh, trying to sort of have their say, and there's no one there, there's not a hierarch- hierarchical structure, there to say, this is who makes the final decision. But I, I mean, from your point of view, as I said, this is sort of your wheelhouse. How should an organizational structure run? And and when you throw in a, a Magic Johnson who wants to come in and say, "Yeah, I, I want to be an advisor slash owner," uh, how you know what's the dynamic there? Well,
1: um, there's plenty of examples out there. Uh, right. this isn't. It's not that complicated. It really isn't. Right. So you go. In these advisory sorts of capacities, we've seen different models like this before. Model number one, which you hinted was the Calangelo model, came in to advise on Philadelphia, but his role was to, right, we all knew it, was to to engineer uh, a regime change, right? And then the elder Calangelo left, and Brian stepped in, and, and here we are today. And so I go. That's where one advisor comes in for a very specific period of time. He's an expert. He'll give. He's going to make the decisions for a short period. And then he's going to leave. I go. That model works. The decision authority is unambiguous. The process is um, is defined, and the future outcome is also unquestioned. You know, Brian's GM, Br- Brown staying as coach. Off we go. Right. That's model number one. Model number two is what's what. Not many people probably know is um, Rod Thorne is a paid advisor to the Milwaukee Bucks. Right. But that model is also unambiguous. He is an advisor to the owners and when um, all personnel decisions are still John Hammond's decisions, but what Warren Thorne provides to Edens and Lasry, the owners of the box, they're hedge fund billionaires, right? This is the longer range, how to view models and modes of developing a team, uh, models and modes of asset construction, models and modes of international reach, models and modes of of branding, models and modes of revenue generation. That's what Rod Thorne's role is. And oh, by the way, there's no doubt there's gonna be personnel and salary uh, cap conversations, I don't doubt, although John Hammond's been you know, has been a GM for a long time. But you know, that model works perfectly well. Unquestioned personnel decisions left at the GM level with Hammond and Rod Thorne is advising on long range, you know, franchise valuation, um, strategic sort of platform. What's happening in Los Angeles is what? It's a, let's be honest, it's a fucking pissing match, right? Mm. It's a pissing match between the buses. That's what's happening. This is, you know, Jenny likes this group, but, it's, but Jimmy owns the team, and, you know, the, the old alumni, the alumni, the old Lakers players are pissed off because they're so crap, and it's a, you know, this is a bunch of children trying to mm. get their way and, and just sort of pointing, placing blame around the place, and they go, okay, you guys can't. On a good franchise, well, I'm going to do it, and they stomp their feet and make enough noise and get in there, and I go. It, it doesn't take a, an organizational strategy genius to to realize something will eventuate, right? Jim Buss owns the owns the Lakers. He will he will ultimately make the calls here, or it's going to be a, a bleeping war, you know, um, or both, or, or there'll be a war and he'll still make the calls. But it will play itself out. Um, I don't know how. I don't imagine that uh, Magic is going to get – there's been conversations about, well, he's going to be really hands-off and far removed, and I go, I don't think so.
0: But what's the point or... of him coming in if he's going to be hands-off? That's
1: right. I go, that's right. Um, so I think Magic has seen the crack. You know, Eric Dickerson tried with the Rams, you know, sort of mm. uh, was a niggling part of helping Jeff Fisher look like a total a total idiot. who didn't have control of his team or didn't have a pulse of the roster. And that, you know, that was a... I go, here we are again in Los Angeles, right? The, the entitlement of the, of the former players is... Well, and you look at the
0: structures of the two best-run sports franchises in America over a long period of time has been the San Antonio Spurs and the New England Patriots. Now, look at how they're set up. So Robert Kraft, I'm no great Robert Kraft being away from NFL, but in terms of what he's done, in terms of his ownership of that team, that's the way it needs to be. And Peter Holtzburn the same. They are hands off owners in terms of basketball decisions. There's a clear structure about that as you say it's unambiguous. This is what everyone does. And yes, there's collaboration across the board on decision making processes, but the, the the buck stops with someone at every single step. And it's not there's not any question about who's going to ultimately make the big decisions mm-hmm. who nurture those franchises. And I think you look at teams that haven't done it as well, and that's where you've get, got ownership meddling in decisions that they really should have no part in, uh, and there is ambiguity around. Well, who, when we when we go to the draft, who's making the final decisions? If trade offers come in, who's making the final decisions? And once you muddy those waters, it's very very difficult um, to, to clear it out again, um, because once you sort of start going down a path. Uh, it's very difficult to turn around and, and come back, especially when you're dealing with egos. Like you want to throw Kobe Bryant into the mix as well. Uh, there's going to be a lot of egos there, and, and things could blow up quite easily.
1: I boil it down to—it's actually—I'll steal this. I, I think I heard Bill Walton say this today, but it's—he's talking about the just the difference between what's a champion and not a champion, and something he learned from from John Wooden. Right? Again, Los Angeles was. There's the two fundamental things, isn't? your jump shot or the diversity of your game or how you develop over time or how good of a teammate you are goes, yeah, those are important, but it's two fundamental things. Number one, it's mental acuity. And number two, the courage to be convicted to a path. And I go, we think about Jimmy Buss and Magic Johnson and Mitch Kupchak. Do you think there's going to be mental acuity and conviction to a, you know, to emotional commitment to something? I go, they're a fucking million miles away. That's a pissing match. This is, you know, uh, Serengeti, Battling for you know battling for position at the top of the hierarchy. That's what we got going on So
0: well, then you want to bring the guy in that submarine the entire franchise by demanding this massive contract That was just like a weight around their neck uh, and, and when they were in a position where they said, you know if Kobe Wright takes a, a reasonable contract They're in a position that science and more free agents. They were still competitive at that point instead he took this ridiculous contract hamstrung the whole process and there they are where they are and so it's laughable to suggest that this is the guy that's going to come in well, and somehow be a saviour for them.
1: Not to mention the locker room stuff and I, you know, mm. when, when Nick Young has more maturity than Kobe Bryant showed the last couple of years, you know, you've got some maturity issues. Well, right? compare the way Tim but,
0: Duncan, Tim Duncan would have known last year was his last year, compare the way he went about his last well, year wait, to the way just, Kobe Bryant did.
1: Before we re-pedestal, you, know, um, well, uh, you know, the San Antonio Jesus. I couldn't think of it. I guess you're on the Outback Jesus and San Antonio Jesus. That's, let's be clear, that is not, I'm sorry, that is not about Kobe Bryant, right? The owners signed that fucking contract. It was a thank you, make good. We know we should let you go. We know we should let you go play for uh, whatever, play for Cleveland, go play for Miami. We know we should do that. But we won't put enough bums in the seats in the forum. So, in order for you to stay, right, we're going to pay you a giant amount of money, and just do what you want. It's a thank you, and let's keep putting bums in seats. Let's be very, very clear. That is not a Kobe engineered thing, right? Just ask Dwayne Wade how that works out when you try to engineer getting yourself a big fat contract at the end of your career. So, in, I don't ever defend, or don't often defend Kobe Bryant, but I go, that is far more about Los Angeles. The Lakers and the, and the management than it was about Kobe, in my view. How does he? How do you say no to 25 billion a year? Right? He didn't write his own check and sign his own checks.
0: So, no. But I think that don't make out. And Bill Simmons touched on this at the time. Don't make out. You still want to win and you still want to be competing for titles when you take a contract like that. They weren't, Just, were they? Well, I think they, they were in a position where they could have at least made a run of a few free agents uh, in that. Particular time frame because I think at that well, stage they only just I don't know if Dwight Howard was still there he just left and then they were looking to to maybe uh, take on uh, some another free agent from look, there.
1: exactly so. This is where he, so the contract 100% on the ownership, the the team and the play, and the um, the repulsion that Dwight Howard felt when he was there. I say a lot of things about Dwight, but how couldn't you feel repulsed by someone like Kobe? I think kobe was welcoming him in and let superman take over hollywood no fucking way right he's like fuck you this is my franchise and then they can't even the embarrassing meeting with LaMarcus marcus aldrich right couldn't even get durant to visit this is that's kobe stuff uh, that that is kobe stuff and so ba- back to where this began where i go where I sort of go what the f- is magic thinking about And clearly he's not thinking he's just got emotion guiding his his process right now right as yeah. what's Kobe going to do besides alienate people? I go, okay, that's a good strategy. Are you trying to follow Sacramento's model? Well played, LA. So that train wreck, it's going to be a train wreck. And you watch, you just watch, right? I go, I hope fate, I hope the ping pong balls have that pick going to, um,
0: who gets the Lakers pick? Oh, Philly, 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 yeah. Philly be beautiful. Pick, right? Well, they have to fall out of the top three. And then yeah. they have... 2019 first rounder also goes to Orlando, so yeah. they will but if the they fall out this year.
1: Draft in particular, right? You imagine them—you got D'Angelo Russell. I don't care how they play one and two. D'Angelo Russell and Lonzo Ball far out—that would be fun.
0: Yeah, but well, if they fall out, obviously this year is going to hurt them, but they're still going to be terrible in twenty nineteen. So it's really going to. It'd kill the franchise if they fall out of that top three. Yeah, a million things can happen
1: between there and now. so I'm just saying that this, we've got this train wreck happening in the front office and we got this, if it falls to number four, I think it's top three protected. Top three
0: protected, that's yeah, right. If it
1: lands in the top three, you can sort of say, irrespective of the dysfunction at the top, you'll have someone like a, you know, a, um, Fultz or again, hometown boy, you know, Lonzo Ball there, and I go, that is some, that's not something fun to think about. D'Angelo and Ball, or D'Angelo and Fultz,
0: um, and the so, other advantage of that is if the falls in the top three, Philly owned their pick in 2018, but the the Orlando pick reverts to a second rounder. So a, yeah. it, it's a massive difference and go, between LF, one LF, and LF, the other. I was
1: About the 18 pick, if you get Lonzo Ball, and you got D'Angelo, and build a bit of a culture around those guys, and mm. you know maybe Brandon Ingram could be, you know, a Davis Bertans one day. Um, <laughs> he can only so, hope. With a couple of ACL tears, he might, you know, develop into that. So
0: you've been watching the Davis uh, YouTube highlights, I hope, since the. Yeah, I did his.
1: The dude can't jump. I don't know what you're looking at. <laughs> he, can he can jump. jump over, he can jump over the Sydney phone book. Which, by the way, quick aside, who, what is this 2017 or 1897? I still got a, I got a yellow pages delivered to my, my front door last week. Yeah, that's how we rolled
0: in those parts. What? What? <laughs> you still uh, need the phone book.
1: Doesn't it, who, who's this you we're talking about here? <laughs> yeah? Uh, anyway, Davis Bertons couldn't jump over my Sydney phone book.
0: Well, a, the Spurs fans all turn up early to watch him in the layup lines because he's doing trick shots and he's dunking the pill. He's probably the second um, most athletic player on that roster.
1: I thought you were going to say the Spurs fans like to use phone books. Because they're all, you know, nostalgia hipsters, you know, or something.
0: Anyway. Well, well, let's wind it up quickly, but we just want to. I want to head back to the Raptors. So your quick thoughts: Are they now in the conversation uh, to to challenge the Cavs and maybe even the Celtics? I think the Celtics will uh, propel themselves up just below the Cavs. Are the Raptors back to being the number two team and potentially number one team in the Eastern Conference? I mean, how much difference will this trade make?
1: So from the Toronto perspective, I go, yeah, they'll be better. That's about as excited as I get, because it's Cleveland and everybody else, right? And so everything about the East will always be in reference to what's happening in Cleveland, and and I go, all right, so love is hurt. Yep, that's gonna, um, you know, damage their continuity. And if he comes back a week or two before the end of the season, it could be true, it could be tricky to reassemble the you know, some fluidity and some, you know, the team, you know, right before the playoffs, but then I go, who are they going to play in the first round? Right. Fill in the blank cakewalk. So, um, so I guess the short answer is I don't think it changes the, the power at all. And even if it did, does Cleveland care if Cleveland finishes second or third? Like since when did Cleveland needing an extra home game mean anything at all? Like didn't I remember them winning a game seven in a in a city that wasn't Cleveland last year.
0: Right? Well, they but they must care about it because why else would they be would LeBron James be playing the most minutes of any player in the league if they didn't care about the number one seed. Whoa,
1: whoa, 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 So you're also making an assumption that the Cleveland is a, a collective. It's not why do they care? It's why does he care? And I go, Why does he care? Motherfucker wants to be MVP. He's tired.
0: Well, he's nowhere near the MVP. Well, oh, I, I, I shouldn't say that. That's a bit harsh. But I, I don't think...
1: You asked the question, why is he playing a lot of minutes? And you said, why do they care? And I just sort of go... I go, it's not about why do they care, it's why does he care? LeBron decide how much LeBron plays, right? Let's be very clear about that. So I go, why does LeBron want to play? You don't like, what's, you don't like the jibber-jabber about, you know, Durant and Curry and the fancy triple-double machine um, in Oklahoma and, uh, you know... You know, a little tiny Archibald, you know, James Harden?
0: Well, if you're ranking MVP at the moment, you're looking at Harden, Westbrook, Durant, Kawhi, and then LeBron. I mean, is that too harsh? Oh, I think that's how i rate them. So what, if he's worrying about MVP, he'd want to be putting up some bigger numbers than what he's doing right now. And that's that's not to say he's, he's not having a good season numbers-wise and things like that, but he's not putting up the, what these guys are, are putting up night to night.
1: Is he the best player?
0: In the game? Yep. Yes,
1: he's yeah. still the best player. That's what, that's what he thinks. That's what he knows.
0: So and what would you have to He's
1: tired, right? This is, again, his ego. He's tired. He's tired of hearing jibber-jabber, right? And that's why he does these little, little weird LeBron digs. You know, they had that Halloween party and had the little headstones and cupcakes with, you know, RIP warriors on it and stuff. But I think he's tired of other people possibly even thinking they're better than him. Be tired of that. So that's that's what I see. Is I just go, the guy doesn't want us that wants us to play. And I mean, he's playing for something. He ain't playing for home court advantage. He ain't playing to, I don't know, to beat the Pacers, which they're doing right now quite handily. Um, yeah, I think he's well, going for four, four for four from downtown. But so um, uh, look, Toronto is what fifth at the moment. They're four or five games in the loss column behind Boston, who yeah, was Boston Boston is lurking. So I kind of go, yep, absolutely, Ibaka makes them better. I definitely agree with that. Does he help round them out? He just fits so nicely with them on every way. Rotations, style of play, he just fits. Attitude, playoff experience, all the rest of it fits. Right. So I you go, know, definitely. Um, the next... The next variable, I guess, then what does Boston do? That's kind of the other way I'll answer your question after the trade deadline to say, is this is this the time? Will Will Danny Ainge, will he do what, you know, will he look at Kevin Love's injury and look at J.R. Smith's uncertain, you know, comeback? Will he look at all the mileage that LeBron's putting on and say, hmm, this is this the time where if something breaks our way, if Love goes down in the playoffs again or something, right? Is this the time where we've got we got a chance to acquire someone. I don't know who that someone is. Maybe we maybe we probably need to cover that in our next pod, but that's for me is the, to answer the Toronto question is, is in reference to what Boston does. I don't think I don't think Washington can keep this up, as we've talked about before. They don't have the bench. These guys are going to get tired. Um, I don't like Washington in a long series anyway.
0: Well, Washington's so, doing it all at home, too. So their road records think so. Yeah. They're going to have a tough time uh, winning class series if they don't mm-hmm. have a home court advantage.
1: And I'm, it's not quite Joel Embiid care category, but you just sort of always worry about Bradley Beal, right? You just sort of always just worry that any given moment, you know, he could you know, he could hobble off. So I, I don't have a lot of faith in them sticking up at the top. So I like what Toronto did. It helps them. It didn't damage, you know, their asset base. It helps them now. They probably can resign him for a decent amount of money, his last sort of contract. And, um, Let's see
0: what Boston does. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's a low-risk trade. I don't think yeah. it puts them over the top of the Cavs. I think the Celtics, I could see them making a move where they're just under the Cavs, and then if something goes wrong with the Cavs, maybe LeBron is a bit less efficient in the in the past because of the miles on his legs. I mean, you look at LeBron, no-one has done what he's done in terms of playing that many finals in a row, just getting to, what is it now, six? Six in a row? With Miami and and Cleveland, even yeah. Jordan never did that. Jordan did three. Had the years off in baseball, came back, did another three. Um, and I question. I don't think Jordan in that NBA would have been able to do it. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll never know. But what LeBron's done, admittedly in a fairly weak Eastern Conference at times, is it, just phenomenal. And, and the, guy, the fact that the guy is second in minutes played. I just checked it then. Kyle Lowry's actually overtaken him, but he's that high up in minutes played, I think you know, someone needs to either have a word to him or maybe again it's, it's talking about people making decisions in organisations and LeBron James maybe he has got a bit too much uh, decision making power there at the Cavs to be saying well I'm, I want to play tonight, I want to have a day off, I mean last week they were originally planning for him to have a day off against OKC. And he ended up playing high 30 minutes again, and they got blown out. And you just think, mm. what was the what was the point of that? So uh, that's where I have a worry of the Cavs. I mean, how is LeBron going to be able to find that next gear again but, uh, in the playoffs? I, I
1: just think that the gap is so large, though, right? Just think about what they did to beat the 73-9 team, right? The gap between Cleveland and the rest of these guys is so enormous when it matters. It would take something like Kevin Love significant injury and... Boston acquiring, I mean, an elite, elite player, like if they somehow got Jimmy Butler, or it's going to take an elite, elite player for Boston to um, have, for me to, to say, they're as good as Cleveland.
0: I don't think the gaps are that, that as far as yeah. what it was. I think, you know, the the, the beating of Gale State last year was an aberration. I mean, if, if Green doesn't punch LeBron in the balls, I think that game, that series over in five, and I think the narrative's obviously very, very different about the Cavs. Where they came back and won, credit to them. But I don't think the gap this year, particularly if LeBron's not playing at that beast mode level that he can get to in the playoffs. And we've seen Kyrie and Kevin Love can't carry a team. That's a lottery team if LeBron's not there. So if he's not there at beast mode level, then they really do come back to the pack. And I think... Look, I still think they'll beat them, but I think it's going to look a little bit more like when Miami started to look like them where they're struggling through these Eastern Conference playoff series. And I could see the Raptors taking seven games. I could see the Celtics taking seven games. Um, And I think by the time, even if they get through the Eastern Conference, by the time they get there, they're they're not going to have a lot left in the tank um, to take on the Warriors. But then again, uh, you know... Love
1: and J.R. Smith will, right? They've had...
0: Well, you would think so. They'll be a little bit more refreshed. But um, how much do they, are they going to give you in, in some of these series anyway? Um, particularly when you're talking about behind the Warriors, I guess.
1: So, yeah, this will be really interesting up to the, we got a one more week till the trade deadline. Yeah, exactly. I think it's exactly a week. So let's, let's uh, um, I'm just, I, I'm curious now. The same way I respect what's going on in Toronto, I'm, I just cannot believe the patience of Danny Ainge. Right, I just can't believe he hasn't impetuously gone after and made some giant splash already. Well, maybe he's, the thing
0: in the back of his mind is he, no. he tried to pull the trigger uh, for Justice Winslow, which would have been a disastrous move. So maybe now he's thinking, "Well, once bitten, twice shy. I need to—maybe we'll, we'll, you know, hold our powder for a little bit and just just see where this ends up." But I think, again, knowing where you're at. And in, internally, the Celtics. Where do they think they're at? That's what I think will be fascinating. Do they think yeah. they're one player away? That's
1: what I wonder. Does Does Kevin Love's injury change the question Ainge is asking, which is that is it the instead of where are we at now? Going, this is our time. Does he now sort of is he going into a little more aggressive phone calling mode and being a little more um, uh, maybe targeting some players that you couldn't normally, you wouldn't normally target.
0: Well, and they're two and a half games back, so they're in the conversation for the one seed, lead, which there is value to that, obviously. Um, you know, Home court advance throughout the Eastern Conference, and you know, Cleveland are going to go into Boston. Not an easy place to go. I don't think Cleveland will be too worried about it, but I think if for you're the, for the Celtics, obviously you prefer to be able to host the Cavs in the I mean. first I they, two that's games.
1: My, re- you're exactly right. I, I think Ainge is reading. I'm either going all in to try and win this mofo, or I'm just going to let let things happen, right? I think he's going to go for superstar, or he's going to do nothing. That's my read. So I think I think Love's injury does, you know, add a few percentage points or uh, to the likelihood of Ainge being aggressive now in the next week. Yeah, I don't think it's gone, you know, dramatically. He's saying, oh, here's our chance. It's not LeBron being out for eight weeks. It's Kevin Love, after all. And I just go, you know, Channing fry actually can fill fill in almost everything Love can do except for rebound. It's <clears> like, oh, they're not going to miss much to be honest, right? He'll have a week to come back. So I, I can't wait till the 23rd. I'm dying to see what happens now.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll talk about that certainly more next week. We're going to look at our uh, top three trades. We're going to look at some of the top coaches in the league. And we're also going to make some predictions about the bottom five teams come the end of the season. So uh, join us again next week. We're going to leave this emergency pod there. Uh, and so obviously, how things play out oh. for the Raptors and Magic from there. A big,
1: a big piece of news that just flew across the bottom of the screen. Oh, breaking news! What did I say? Yeah,
0: that's right, breaking, yeah, breaking
1: news. news. <laughs> Willie Gomez is replacing Emmanuel Mudiay in the rookie
0: sophomore game. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's one <laughs> that's certainly
1: hot, hot take. Hot, everybody hot take on that.
0: Is Mudiay injured or? I don't know. I love how the game is. I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board.
1: I want to let's talk about uh, sophomore rookies next time
0: too. We'll look at that too. We'll look at that in the context, obviously, of that game as well. Okay. All right. Thanks for making time again for this, Darren. And we'll talk okay. again next week.
1: Well.